0: is a very normal thing. It's it's just a a practicing and allowing of what we are. So what are we? There's so many ways to describe it. We are a mind in the mind of God. We are still and loving and peaceful and happy. Still and loving and peaceful and happy. That's what we are. That's what's in our heart. That's what rests in our heart. Prayer is simply the desire to sort of let that. Settle all around us to fill us up. This lovingness, peacefulness, stillness, this quietness. This hope. This beauty. It's the most natural thing in the whole world. But as we said in last service, you can begin praying too soon. And if so, you will be shifting gears too soon, like in a car, and the car stalls when you shift gears too soon. This is very important because people think that they ought to pray, they ought to meditate, they ought to spend um, long hours in certain positions and saying certain words over and over to themselves. And they have, they have a sense of guilt if they don't do this. What this does is this adds sacrifice to our relationship with God. Sense of loss, of giving up, of duty, of burden, of time spent that could have been spent otherwise. And that's also Unnecessary. The little pamphlet that Gail read from is called A Song of Prayer. So let your prayer be a song. If it's not a song, don't pray yet. Do the first thing that we talked about in the early services here at the Dispensable Church, the first step, which is simple looking, simple watching, simple noticing. Because even this, although it doesn't appear to be because of our definitions of prayer, is a form of prayer. When we watch, when we look, when we notice, we are still. And stillness is a door through which the love of God and the peace of God can enter. It is a widening of the heart when we simply notice and are still. So when you look at anything in calmness, your heart opens just a little. And at least a little of the peace of God begins to seep into it. Now there is another more deliberate form of prayer that can be taken up. And possibly you would like to do this. And this you can do without worrying about whether or not You're ready for it. And you always know if you're ready, if it irritates you to pray. If it irritates you, you're not ready to pray. (laughs) And that is noticing that you do indeed have certain good qualities about you. And this requires a degree of honesty that most of us have not exercised. This admitting that we are actually capable of being kind on occasion. We can be peaceful every once in a while. There are times in which we could have yelled and we didn't yell. We reached out a hand and we could have turned our back. But this potential does lie in us, although quite dormant at times. And so in these cases. Where people see at least that much prayer can be a time in which you are throwing your weight behind your own goodness. You are reinforcing your gentleness and your peace and your openness and your sensitivity to others. So you simply say in your moment of prayer, this is the kind of person I want to be. And you say the words of encouragement that your mind needs to hear. This may seem like a different form of prayer than opening our mind to God. But it's actually the same thing. Because God is the goodness that dwells within our heart. And when we decide to get behind our own evolution. When we lean in the very direction in which we are in fact walking. We do join with God. And we do bring this stillness and this peace that we all long for into our lives. So any form of prayer that makes you happy is the right form. There is no right or wrong way to pray or to meditate. Except to say this, that you will not get to God through sacrifice. You will not get to God through bloodletting. Although that can start you on the path. That must drop away sooner or later. There has to be a sweetness. And a softness to your step. In order to make progress. So what are the forms of prayer? Well there's so many of course that we couldn't begin to list them. But I have several here that I think are quite common among people in the new age, people in new age religion. I have a little uh, nephew and he was riding the car once with Gail and me and he said, Uncle Hugh, you know what I'm going to ask God as soon as I die? I said, no, Joshua, what are you going to ask him? I'm going to ask him how he got his start. (laughs) So the form of prayer is dictated by what we think we are praying to. That will will determine the form that our prayer takes. And so it is perfectly legitimate to ask, to what am I turning my mind? Because this is a turning of the mind into a different direction. An opening of the mind to something. And what is this something we think we're opening our mind to? If we think that God is a mystery. The great unknowable. Then this is often like a child. Relating to a parent that's kind one minute. And has a temper tantrum the next. One moment the parent is loving the child. The next moment. The parent is shouting at the child or slapping the child or something like that. Many of us, maybe all of us, had parents that were that way to some degree. And what does this teach the child? Only to be afraid. The child may behave, they are so afraid, but there isn't, they are not behaving out of love. And this is, of course, what is turned against at adolescence. People don't want to be afraid, and they turn away from the thing that scared them. And so if we think God is some mystery, and we don't really understand what's going on, if you'd prefer to use the word the universe, or the way the universe operates instead of God, if you don't think you understand what it is that's taking place all around you, that one minute it seems to be kind. And one minute it seems to go against you. Then you must. When you pray. Turn only to fear. And perhaps you will plead. And perhaps you will entreat. And perhaps you will try different ways of wording your prayer. Putting certain words in it. Because God is now this complicated Lock. And you have a very limited set of keys. And so your prayer is merely the attempt to insert one key and then another and then another. And how do you judge if it works? By the results. By the things around you. And if things go well, then you think, ah, I have the key to true prayer. But then that one doesn't work after a while. Or in a particular circumstance in which you were counting on it. And so there is this emphasis on the words of the prayer. Perhaps the position we, we assume when we pray. If we think that God is some mystery. Some unknowable. Some unreachable. The second way that's very common to think of God or the universe or what's going on. Being whatever you wish to call that which surrounds us is to think of God as a as a formula. Uh, in Star Wars, uh, the Force. And so, if you contact the Force, then of course you can get your rocket into the mothership and blow it up, and because the Force is on your side. Now you've you've contacted the Force, but a procedure must be gone through to. Take the force, use the force, have the force work. So still, there's a great sense of personal weakness in this approach to God. That God is something like E equals MC squared. This great formula that Einstein comes up with and seems to bring so many things together. But notice that Einstein then spent the rest of his life looking for a unified field theory. He spent the rest of his life looking for a single formula that would make all of this world sensible, understandable. And it's interesting how all the great men of science, almost all of them did the same thing. Many people don't know that Newton spent almost as much time studying the book of Revelations as he did describing the laws of physics. Everyone knows about Einstein's deep religious feelings. The same with Aristotle. And all these great moves and the description of what's going on. So often these men turn to some spiritual quest, to some deep diving into the soul, into the heart. And so if we think that God is a law, like a law of mathematics, and this is all that God is, some sort of abstract principle, then our emphasis is not necessarily on the words we use when we pray, but it is on the knowledge that we have acquired we have to understand the principle. We have to study the principle. And then we have to apply it correctly. So the emphasis is on understanding and on performance. And how is this form of prayer judged? The same way the first is by the results. Does something happen in our life as a result? Did we take the formula and make it work whatever it was? However, this is definitely a step forward to think of God as a law or a principle only. I'm not saying that God isn't law and principle, but to think of Him as merely principle or merely law. This is definitely a step away from fear. The prayer would be less fearful if the person thought that's what God was. Because otherwise, God is this Quixotic parent up in the sky we can't be sure of. Irascible. generous, cruel. Cool. We never know what's going to come next. A third way that seems to be very common to think of God in this new age religion, it's all about us now is to think that that God is our mind or that we have God or we've got a little bit of God or we've got an arm or a finger or a something of God inside of us. There's a little part of God that we've somehow pulled inside of us or it was sewed into us when we began all this. and and, uh, and this is a step forward because... Before, the formula idea of God was quite cold. And we know that, that there are laws all around us. There's a law about the sun. And it can either sun tan you or sun burn you, depending on how long you're... It's a law. It doesn't care whether this is a little child someone who's had an accident it will burn them if it stays out to it doesn't care the law doesn't care there's a law that allows water to boil at a certain point it doesn't care if the water spills on an old person who can't afford to have the wound treated it simply remains the law so there isn't much love in that concept of God. That God is merely a principle. And so to think of God as something that hasn't come into our heart is another step forward. God is our mind. that God is our will. And of course, all of these things are true. There is truth in every form of prayer that we've talked about so far. It's true that God is a loving and personal parent. It's true that God is an unchangeable law, but a law of sweetness and of love and of tenderness and of compassion. And it's true that your mind is a part of God. But if God is merely our mind or our mind is somehow hooked up to God, it's somehow the terminal to the big computer in the sky, our mind. Then the emphasis must be on our will somehow we've got to take our mind and we've got to apply it so now there is a sense of sometimes self-worth and and force and and personal power with this concept it isn't quite so helpless as it was before although there is a separation because we're not quite sure how we're supposed to do this and what is our mind We can't use a word that the ego doesn't have a picture. So if you read in A Course in Miracles that you are a mind, not a body, what do you picture? What do you picture when you think of a mind? A big um, soap bubble, a celestial soap bubble, perhaps, that glitters on the edges. If you don't see Maybe if you're, if you're a feeling person. Maybe a giant soft Q-tip. Unused, of course. <laughs> Although that does bring up interesting theological questions. What if it were used by God? <laughs> but what is this mind? Is it this great big soft something? Or is it this shining sort of bubble? Or, or is it this light? Or is it a sound? I remember how happy I was when someone sent me a little dissertation on the sound of God, the universal sound of God in all the languages and all the systems. Do you know what it is? Hugh. <laughs> <laughs> and as we breathe, this article said, I just love this article. As we breathe, every person, no matter what their language, says, Hugh. (laughs) As they exhale, Hugh. (laughs) Then Gail pointed out that my name was actually Hugh III. (laughs) It didn't really work quite so well. So somehow we've got to take our mind, which we're not quite sure what it looks like or feels like or sounds like or what it, what's, and now we're going to take our mind and we're going to take it and we're going to focus it on this problem. Concentrate it on this problem. We're not quite sure how we're going to do that. And so once again, how do we judge that kind of prayer? By the results. What happened in our life? Did this problem go away? Did we get the Mercedes? (laughs) (laughs) Now, there's nothing wrong with any of these forms of prayer. And everyone should use the form of prayer that they're comfortable with. But there is a higher form of prayer. And it is based on at least the intellectual premise, if not the suspicion, if not the understanding, if not the knowledge, that God is all. Now when the ego hears that statement, that God is all, it thinks that gods are God is uh, earth babies and God is uh, lightning and God is rivers that overflow and God's pine needles and God's pinyon mice and and uh, God's the plague and God's the blight and God's uh, uh, rancid water and God's pure water and but also this means that God is also uh, the FBI and uh, and God is the uh, uh, public service company and the, let's just think of this for a moment because most people when they say God is everything they they definitely. Uh, leave out the nuclear power plants and things like this. But if that's what God is, then God's glasses and God's contact lenses and God's all that. And this is silly, isn't it? It's silly to think that that God is the trash that litters our highways. Now, of course, in one sense, God shines through even the crushed, coarse beer cans and whatever else. And in a sense, we can say God surrounds us and God's in everything. As a matter of fact, one of the lessons in the Course in Miracles is gods God is in everything I see because God is in my mind. Which is quite different than saying God is the pool of water that my child drowned in. God is the disease that riddles my grandmother's body makes her cry out in the night. No, God is all that there is. God is all that endures. God is all that is happy. Not God is all that is transitory and crazy and mixed up and here one day and gone the next and what's the meaning of it all? It can hurt you or it can help you. That's not God. God. God is the great stillness, the great light, the great splendor, the great love that blesses us. And so indeed, as in the first form of prayer, God is the hand that you feel on your, on your forehead as you sit and you weep over the loss of your love. And it's as if an arm goes around you and you feel it. Indeed, God is that. And God is the sure way out. As sure as simple mathematics arrives at an unchanging conclusion each time. And God is your essence, your being, your mind, your will, that which, which does not change no matter how much your body changes, no matter how many limbs you lose, no matter whether or not you've just gotten the perm and none of your friends recognize you, you're still there. There's still this loveliness. And so if we assume that God is all there is, and that God is love, what form does prayer take? And how do we judge it? Now there is no attempt to do anything. We're not appealing to some sort of uh, mysterious person. We're not evoking some cold, dry principle. We're not trying to shape something that we're not even sure of what it is, our mind. If God is all there is and God is love, the results of that prayer are now. And the prayer is now because the love of God is now. And so the heart opens now and the sweetness fills us now. And we do not ask what will happen next or how long will this feeling last or I hope I keep this feeling or what did it do for me anyway? That was nice. What did it do for me? I still have roaches. <laughs> so, the, our question of what is God not only determines the, the form of the prayer, but it determines the purpose of the prayer. Why do we pray? What is the point of praying? Why would we even want to do such a weird thing as that? Close our eyes. And do this funny thing with our mind. Why would we want to do that? Well, if we think that God is is this mystery, this mysterious person, then then it's sort of like uh, what will make E.T. come into the house? Do we use Reese's Pieces? And that's really what we're doing in a sense with God. We, we try anything, even Reese's Pieces. God, would you please come here and pay attention to my problem? And if we think that God is some sort of formula, then we believe that, that our purpose, the purpose of the prayer is to bring all the good things of life to us. But what are the good things in life? I'm sure it was someone's prayer that brought Hagen doss to the plaza. Don't you think so? <laughs> but the day you walk in, they're out of rum raisin. <laughs> And if the purpose of the, of the prayer is, is to somehow focus the mind and change the things around us, then it's only the changes in the, our body or other people's bodies or the changes in relationships, or the changes in the amount or quality of our possessions or the change in our location. That is the purpose of the prayer. We all had very strange experiences growing up that had nothing to do with our childhood religions, Uh, but I can remember uh, being brought up in Christian science Sunday school believing, and this was sort of the shared knowledge among my playmates, and actually it was an adult that told me this, although this has nothing to do with Christian science, I'm sure you can do that if a black man had his healing, he would turn white. But isn't that a logical conclusion, you see? Well, we first of all decide on the change that must take place. And of course, the person that told me this was obviously prejudices against skin color. And so it was normal to her to think that if she had a healing or if the person had a healing, then they would turn into the kind of body that this individual found more acceptable. So, how do we ju- judge what are the good things of, of life? It's so arbitrary it and they change. What we thought was the good things of life five years ago is certainly not what we think they are now. How many of us have come to Santa Fe to get away from the good things in life? <laughs> because we had the job and we had the condo, and we had the, uh, we had the, the only uh, block where the rapes didn't take place and an absolutely reliable uh, doorman and so forth. Why did we leave it? But if God is all and God is love, then the only purpose of our prayer is to be happy To be peaceful now is to enjoy ourselves now. The prayer itself is the good things of life. Because we open up to the presence of God, not the future of God. There is no future of God, there's the eternal, absolutely safe, ever presence. Present, the present, presence that is present, and that's all there is. And we enjoy it now. We think I, we say, "I think I'll be happy now," and that is a prayer. I think I will relax now, and that is a prayer. Now, if you have gone beyond the stage of thinking that prayer or meditation is a burden. I'm not going really into the subject of meditation, which involves states and stages. I will take it from my friends who know a great deal more about meditation than I do that A Course in Miracles practices the last step first. So I will not attempt to go through even my meager knowledge of, of meditation. I'm using the two words as if they were the same a quiet listening, an opening of the heart, a prayer, a meditation. If it is a pleasure for you to pray, at least a little, how then can you pray? Now, as we said earlier, there is no right way to pray. And so I will just give you uh, some things that have been helpful to me. Everything that's suggested here at the Dispensable Church you should look at with a great deal of suspicion. And if it doesn't work, just say, well, it doesn't work. Don't worry about why it didn't work. It's just all I can do is give you from my own personal experience and some things that have helped. And maybe they'll help you and maybe they won't. Maybe they'll trigger something that will help you. You you see, oh, well, he tried this. Well, maybe I could try this. and That's all we're doing. We've talked here about taming the ego as if it were some sort of wild animal, and we try this. And we, we've, it's this animal that we don't know a great deal about, and so we try this and we try that, and we see what works, just like uh, house uh, house training a dog or something. Some dogs you use the folded-up newspaper, and and some dogs uh, you use pats, and we all know this, and that's what we do with our ego. We step back and we look at it. The ego is a prayerless state. So we just look at our ego and we see it acts up, you know, and we... One of the mistakes that I find people making over and over again uh, in the whole New Age approach to religion and mysticism and so forth is that they don't look at their ego and they don't see what it is that gets it all stirred up. And if they do see what gets it all stirred up, then they think they somehow have to fight this out with their ego. And this wastes enormous amounts of time. And I think it's obvious that if we don't get it worked out now, we're going to get another chance to do that. And this can go on for a very, very long time. And so there is something to be said for the quick and easy way to do it. Now those are very, very bad words, quick and easy. It should be long and hard, then it has true value. So I'm going to give you the quick and easy way. And that is, you just walk around, whatever your ego's doing, you just leave it in place, and you just don't do that thing that activates it, whatever the thing is. You just don't put yourself in that situation or eat that food or wear that particular kind of clothes or go out with that particular kind of person or whatever until you're in a place where you can do so peacefully. This is not a judgment against the, the raiment or the food or anything else. We just look at it and say, well, this uh, this stirs my ego all up, this particular thing. And the same thing is true about prayer. Can you can learn large systems and go to places and study under this person and that person and go through all these stages and that is just great if it's peaceful for you to do so if you love doing it but if it's a torture for you to do that it is not necessary there is an easier way to pray so let me just tell you a few things have been helpful to me It is better to do something about the fear than to consider if it is justified. It is better to do something about the fear than to consider if it is justified, if the fear has merit. So, if you are worried about whether or not you have too high a wattage in your light bulbs around the house, is this using too much electricity? You simply change the light bulbs. It's, 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 it's no point in considering whether or not this is justified. There is no end to considering that because there's no end to the arguments. You can argue it either way, but the, but you but the light bulbs are disturbing you. And every time you're disturbed, you're not praying, you're not happy, you're not peaceful and you're not relaxed, you're not making progress. And if you keep this up, you're going to come back and just do this whole thing all over again. And this is just going to go on for a very, very long time. And what's the point of that? Change the light bulbs. That's all. (laughs) Because every time you're happy and every time you're peaceful, you make progress. Your ego weakens. It falls off of you like scales. And so do whatever you need to do to be at peace and to be loving and to be kind and to be happy. This is not an easy thing to do, and people underestimate this. To be peaceful is to stay in one place in the beginning. And what happens as we begin to get a little of the peace of God and perhaps begin hearing a voice and, uh, uh, or something, or begin having a certain kind of experience in meditation, or perhaps we can heal. I have a friend who can heal anything that he can get uh, between his two fingers. Um, and uh, this is a sudden ability that he has. There's not many things that can, I'll leave it up to your imagination as to all the things, but you can, can't get up. So he's great on elbows, but he can't do knees. <laughs> yeah. Now he suddenly developed this ability. I'm telling you, he could spend years getting sidetracked on that, trying to enhance that ability. How could he widen the fingers and so forth and get this particular feeling and so forth? But I can tell you, he can zap you with just that. He's really good at it. This is a side road. It doesn't matter. You just say, oh, I can do that. So you can do that. Maybe there'll be a chance to do it. Maybe it'll be kind someday. Maybe there'll be a time in which that'll be kind. Just like it was kind for Robert to share his voice and his talent his talent for arrangement and so forth, and that lovely song that he did. This was a great kindness. But if he focuses on his ability to sing, then he goes off on a side road and he tries to enhance this and he wonders what he's supposed to do with this talent. And for sure he can't stay with the dispensable church which meets at the girls' club. (laughs) I mean, this cannot be the stopping point. So if you're afraid that that uh, the leak I just love Santa Fe, is there any, there were puddles all over. I did a wedding yesterday. I won't mention the fancy place where I did it. There's leaks. We had to, we had to have the bride one place and the <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was all the way. <laughs> now, if you're afraid that the leak is ruining your ceiling or melting your adobe wall, don't go around wondering whether or not the fear is justified. Or should you be beyond worrying about this? If the house falls down, you say, I will simply get another house. But the fact that you're worrying about it means that you are a liar. Because that's not what you think at all. So you just fix the leak. And if, and if your spouse is unhappy, you know, is that beautiful thing in the New Testament of Jesus saying, if you come to put your gift on the altar and you remember that you have this unforgiveness that there is this thing between you and someone else first go and heal that relationship and then come and put your gift on the altar and it's very difficult to sit down in prayer if there is someone around us at the moment that we could take the time to help them out because they're unhappy. Maybe they're acting out in a very unpleasant way. This is a cry for help. If we know something that we could do, if we could at least try to do something, it is far better to do that and then pray. Because the guilt will disturb your prayer. And it will, there will be no prayer to it at all because there will be no happiness, no release, no relaxation to it. So the first thing that I would suggest is if you need to prepare in that sense of getting your situation as best you can get it, and don't try to get it perfect, getting as best you can, something needs to be taken care of, take care of it, get your overall situation. I'm not talking about the, the grand things that spread all over your life, but the little things that if there's something that's bothering you as you pray and you could take care of it, take care of it rather than trying to somehow forget it during the prayer. Now, if you cannot get your hands on it and there's no way to correct it, then it is indeed a good thing to forget it or to practice forgetting it or to make a gentle effort to forget it during your prayer because there's nothing you can do about it at the moment. And this, of course, includes being comfortable. A lot of people think it's somehow not spiritual to be comfortable when they meditate or they pray. They've been told they have to put their hands in a certain situation and their mouth has to be so-and-so and and there's this and that and the other. And some of these things they personally don't find pleasant. It's all right to let yourself be comfortable. It's not unspiritual to uh, wiggle around like this on your chair and get comfortable. Everybody, please do that. It's it's perfectly all right to do that, you see. Just get comfortable. Loosen your button of your shirt or whatever it is you need to do. That's all right. You don't have to fight how tight your belt is. See, you gain this weight and you sit down and now... Your your belt's tight when you sit down. And what you're thinking is, it shouldn't be tight because I shouldn't have gained the weight and so I'm not going to, I'm just going to pray here and then because I should (laughs) (laughs) Second suggestion. First, clear your mind. So as you've made your situation as comfortable as you can make it, Now make your mind as comfortable as you can make it. Perhaps in the beginning, you would like to take several things and do them one at a time rather than all at once. Here are three things that I think would be important to clear out of your mind. You must forgive everyone that comes to your mind. Now, you don't have to spend long hours trying to think of every single person that you've ever had a grievance against. But a little mind searching in which you say, is there someone I have not forgiven? is a good thing. And so you may want to take a man or two to do this. And just forgive, just bless, simply bless the person. You don't, there's no magic to forgiving. It's an effort. It's sort of a pouring of light from your heart onto them. That's all you're doing. You're just looking, practicing, looking gently. It's not. It doesn't have to be perfect or complete. You, of course, wish it to be complete. And you try to make it a complete forgiveness. They did the best they could. Period. You try to reach that point. But it softens these hard edges in your mind. The next time you pray, possibly you would like to take any goals that that are exciting you, things that you wish for in your life, things that you think you're about to get or something, something that might befall you, something that might happen to you, some windfall, some turn of events that you think you're seeing right now. There is no excited peace. Because excitement is anxiety. And so see if you can at least let go of those goals for this moment as you pray. This thing that's so important. This thing you're about to buy. And then on another occasion, you might want to take fears. Just look at fears. Fears you have of the future. Long running fears. Anything. Any fears. Release them. Tell yourself whatever you need to tell yourself to let go of the fear. You're making your mind comfortable. Now if you've taken several categories like that and you've done that over a period of several days. Now I'm talking about only those people who wish to pray for longer periods of time. We're talking now about a more sustained period of prayer. Five minutes, ten minutes, fifteen. If You can start with ten or fifteen minutes to do that and then possibly go to a thirty minute period. Putting that period at the best time of the day that you can. The time of the day in which you start getting discouraged. Things start falling apart. It starts getting rough you start becoming very vulnerable to your ego because you're tired, usually at this time of day. I don't mean sleepy. It's very difficult to pray if you're sleepy. But tired of life, tired of the day, tired of the hassles, tired of your friends, tired of the job, and tired of the sofa. And you you can tell this. uh, Everything assaults you now. You can't look around the house without just saying, (laughs) So you know what time that comes, usually during the day. Lay your prayer like a beautiful colored egg in that little nest of your day so something can spring from it and there will be new life to that part of your day. If the last part of your day, I've talked about the last part of our day so often because this is what Gail and I find difficult, but some people find the mornings particularly difficult, so it doesn't really matter what you find difficult. But if you are... If you are simply uh, giving up on the last half of your day, you are wasting approximately half of the time that you could use to walk home, to become happier, to bring peace to your life. There's no reason to do that. There's no reason to concede anything in your life to the ego. You do not have to grin and bear it. But you do have to grin. (laughs) Third suggestion. Have some phrase. Any phrase that you like. God is all. We've said that here. God is peace. God loves me. He is here now. God loves me. He is here now. And so you're going to take that into your prayer. This is a fact. God loves you. His arms encircle you. His love blesses you. His hand is on your head. He carries you in his arms. And that can be felt. And that can be experienced. God loves me. He is here now. I and my Father are one. All is still, all is quiet, all is love. All is still, all is quiet, all is love. I have nothing to fear because God is with me. Anything, any phrase, it doesn't have to include the word God or any word I've used, but some simple phrase. And you carry this into your prayer so that when your mind wanders, as it will, you simply say the phrase. And if you wish to add to it a little bit, but do so, but make it simple. That's the key. Make it simple. And then you pray. And what is prayer? It is a seeping of God's stillness into your being. It's a quietness that is a substance like gold that sort of Enters you. So you are empty, so the gold can fill you up. This is God's peace, God's stillness, which is there, which is a fact, which is only waiting for an open door, any opening at all, you'll give it. And so you give it a little opening. But do not worry about what happens in your mind or your body. Don't worry about the fireworks. If you leave your body, if you just leave your body, and go back to God. If you have a precognition, you have a precognition. If suddenly your uh, uh, bent leg snaps into place, go back to God. doesn't make any difference. Don't get sidetracked by that stuff. Of course, those things are going to happen. But this is another place that people can get stuck. They start hearing... A gentle voice or two or three or so forth its now helping them. And now the ego enters in and they try to use this. Instead of internalizing it, they try to use their new ability to heal or their new ability to read thoughts. Yes, you'll every once in a while begin to know what someone's thinking. Don't be sidetracked by that. It's perfectly natural. Leave it alone. It'll be helpful on occasions. Those things do not come from God. They are merely a dropping away from self, of self-imposed limitations. We're the ones who say we can't know what someone's thinking, that we cannot heal the body, that we cannot do all these things. So these aren't gifts of God. These are a dropping away of, of all these chains we've wrapped around ourselves. But if you try to use this newfound ability... Now, once again, you, you, you're you caught up in just the same old, same old, which is pursuing this, this pot at the end of the rainbow, which no one can ever find. Perhaps you would like to continue in the beginning until you feel some resistance. As soon as you feel some resistance, notice it. See if you can go past the resistance for a minute or two, or a few seconds. So this is very much like exercising, in the sense that we exercise. If we swim laps, we go a few laps past what we did before, and so forth. We run a few miles or a few yards or whatever past what we used to run, and so forth. And prayer can be somewhat like this. So your ego steps in, you have a resistance, suddenly you're not liking to pray, and I've said before that that's when the prayer should end. But now we're talking about a little bit more sustained period of prayer. And so now you notice the resistance. And you just see if you can continue for a few seconds or a minute past it. What will happen sometimes is the resistance will then drop. And you might have quite a very nice and deep prayer period after that. If it doesn't happen, as oftentimes it won't, then let your prayer end. So you're just going a little bit past the resistance. Now, after you've practiced that for a while, a few days, a few weeks, or whatever, then you may try going to a more sustained period, such as one prayer period for at least 15 minutes every day. And when that is pure joy, then extend it to one prayer period for a half hour. These are just suggestions. There's nothing sacred about these numbers. This is just a possibility. And then the last thing is, as you get up from your period of prayer, your period of rest, in which the prayer itself was a reward, and all you sought was to be peaceful now and to relax in God's arms now, see if you can't carry that into the day. See if you can't carry a little of gentleness with you into the day. And so let us end with this. I'd like to give you a simple prayer. and I'd like to ask you to close your eyes. I've mentioned this prayer to you before. I'll just say it a few times because it's so long you won't be able to memorize it. I am one with thee O thou infinite one I am where thou art I am what thou art I am because thou art I am one with thee O thou infinite one I am where thou art I am what thou art I am because thou art. I am one with thee, O thou infinite one. I am where thou art. I am what thou art. I am because thou art.